Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. We came back from Israel on, uh, there was, I think, 27 of us pastors that went, and uh, we traveled. By the time we touched down in New York, I think we'd been up about 38 hours, and uh, we arrived to find out that our flight to Des Moines had been canceled. And so we had to get a hotel there in New York, and we didn't want to go to bed in the morning because then our clock wouldn't reset, so we went bouncing around New York for the day. So by the time we got to the hotel that night, we were crispy. Uh, and so we uh, but finally got home. I want to say it was Friday. Was it Friday night? Uh, I, no, Thursday night. What day is it? It's, uh, so anyway, we, get, we got home, and, and, but it was, it was a wonderful time. Uh, we got to see so many sites. We went with Christians United for Israel. Uh, it's a ministry that John Hagee started, and he, uh, one of the purposes of it is to expose pastors not only to the biblical sites of the promised land, but also to the geopolitical situation that Israel lives under. And so we had numerous briefings by intelligence officers and military officers and so forth. It was just a fascinating time. So it was uh, both geopolitical and, uh, you know, looking at all the history of Israel. Uh, and so we went, you know, we went from the Golan Heights down to the Gaza Strip and then uh, into at different uh, archaeological digs, one of which was, it's not open to the public, but because of their, their, uh, their mojo with Israel, we were allowed to go in and, and uh, go deep under the ground. It was just, it was fascinating. It was like, you know, guys, little, little boys become grown men who never outgrow being a little boy. And if you can go down into deep holes and see things, I mean, it's, that's cool. And uh, so it was, it was an amazing trip. But as I said, I was really struck by how the small scale of Israel, and the Lord began to speak to me about that. I was just contemplating th- some things. And uh, as I was looking at that, uh, when I got home, someone called me. Matter of fact, they had reached out to me while I was still over there, and I said, I, I told them where I was at. I, you know, I had my phone turned off, but I could still get texts and email when I had Wi-Fi. And I just, uh, I said, hey, let me give you a call when I get home. And uh, they wrote back, said, sure, just the Lord spoke to me something about, they, you know, the Lord showed me something I wanted to share with you. And so I called them yesterday, and uh, they began to share with me that they were, they had gone off on a, their own trip. This, this is not someone who attends regularly here. Uh, they had their own trip, and as they were spending some time with the Lord, they said the Lord spoke to them about Heartland. And what they shared with me was exactly what the Lord was speaking to me. And it really stunned me. I, I, it brought tears to my eyes. I was driving down the road when they shared it with me. And uh, I think it's important that all of us know what the Lord said. You know, God works among tribes, <laughs> You know, we've, we've talked about it around here many times. You've got to find your peeps. You've got to find your tribe. Uh, the promised land was given to the children of Israel, one nation under God. Uh, but it, the inheritance of that promised land was divided among tribal affiliation. And you needed to know your tribe in order to enter into your inheritance. Uh, and so 
There's, there are streams within the body of Christ, and it's not that there's this one's right and this one's better. It's there's, there's specific callings and specific territory allocated to different streams in the body of Christ. And when we realize that, then we can bless other streams and recognize, man, that's really important what they're doing. It's not what I'm called to. There are, you know, there are uh, general things that we're all called to. Jesus is Lord, preach the gospel. Uh, you know, th- those are, those are non-negotiables that every tribe is called to, but there are specific things that God will call us to pursue and do and, and so forth. And, uh, for instance, there is the revival stream within the body of Christ. There is the, the, uh, the prayer movement within the body of Christ. There's the mission movement within the body of Christ. There are different movements that, and churches that tend to gravitate towards some of those different things. And uh, it's important for us to realize what we're called to. And one of the ways we recognize that is when you walk in a place uh, and you begin to hear them using the language that puts into words what's in your heart already. You come in there and you start hearing them talk and it's like, oh my goodness, they're my peeps. I, they're putting into words what I've been longing for, what I've been, that this, they have, they're putting, making language to what, uh, what I, I feel like I was put on planet earth for. And sometimes you don't even discover that until you hear someone else articulate it. And it's like, oh, it's like water to your soul. And it's very important for us to find our people. It's very important for us to find our tribe or to put it in a more modern, more boring vernacular. It's important for you to find the right church. You got to find the church you're called to because that church will determine the group of people you're going to run with and the inheritance you enter into. And again, it's not a matter of this church is better than that church and vice versa. Man, we got to run from that. I'm telling you, there's, you want to find a quick way to, to create an Ichabod moment where the Spirit of God departs is you start to be arrogant about what you're breaking into as a believer. You begin to get this, this, it's us against them and we're, we're superior to them and God will just lift his hand off uh, of a church. But we want to go low, but we also want to own what God has called us to. And, uh, and so I was over in Israel and I just felt the Lord began to churn some things in my spirit. Uh, I have, for many years, I have been so intrigued by a number of themes. Uh, let, let's pray. Father, Help me this morning. Lord, I'm asking God that you would lead my mind, instruct my mouth, and release the truths this morning that you want us to know, Lord. God, I ask that you would speak to us very clearly. And Lord, I ask that in the the spirit there would be a chalk line snapped and we would recognize the boundary lines of our inheritance. Lord, we would understand what we're called to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start with a passage this morning, and we'll see where we end up, <laughs> literally. Okay, look at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. All the tribes of Israel, I'm going to read out of the NIV this morning. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. 
So it, what this is, is this is the final anointing of King David. Uh, I, I just alluded to, there, there's several themes that have gripped my heart for several decades now, David being one of them. David, the idea of Jerusalem, what's the deal with this city? And then the other one is, is the whole idea of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek. We've talked about that uh, a number of times. I don't know how much we'll get into that this morning. But those three themes intertwine themselves and are very, very uh, important for us to understand in this hour of human history, especially as Heartland Church. And so we see David. David, uh, David had three anointings. He was anointed by a prophet in private. Uh, when nobody else recognized what was on David's life, there was no public demonstration that would have uh, warranted someone saying, hey, there's greatness in that boy. There was nothing that, that he was publicly demonstrating that would make people, that would capture people's attention. There were things that had happened in private. David was on the backside of the desert. He'd killed a lion. He'd killed a bear. There were, there were feats of bravery. There were, there were things that he had tied into the Lord on, and David found a father when there was this rift in his relationship with his own earthly father, Jesse. We don't know all that happened with Jesse, but we know that there was this, this rift in their relationship, so much so that when Samuel, the prophet, the judge of Israel at the time, it would be like Billy Graham and the president of the United States inhabiting the same body and saying, I'm coming to lunch at your house. And Jesse left his one son on the backside of the desert. There's this rift in this relationship. But David would pen these words, God is a father to the fatherless and sets the lonely in families. And David found a father in God his father and his void, his weakness became his strength and the very thing the enemy meant to sabotage David's life with became a stronghold in God. David had a relationship with God unlike any other. David is numbered among the prophets in the Old Testament, and he is arguably one of the greatest prophets. I, I believe one of, the, one of the top two or three prophets of the Old Testament. David was a prophet. He was a king. He functioned as a priest. David lived as a New Testament man under the Old Covenant. David broke into revelation. David understood things that he wrote in the Psalms. There is no way he could have understood that other than by revelation, prophetic revelation. David was taken up and he was shown things by God. David was a man of tremendous insight. Many of the things that David prophesied about began, were realized in the new covenant. And David was the prophetic voice that introduced him to Israel. And we're still unpacking some of the things that David understood. He was an amazing man. So David was anointed by Samuel because God said this. God said, he, he rebuked Samuel. He said, Samuel, it's time to quit grieving over Saul, whom you, are, you anointed before. Pick up your oil, or pick up your horn, fill it with oil, for I have found a man after my own heart. Scholars believe that David was about 14 years old at that time, but God was already referring to him as what? A man after my own heart. Youth, you don't have to be a legal adult to be a man or a woman of God in God's eyes. 
God sees things in your heart, even as a young child, that he will mark you and will set the course of your life. Samuel, the one that anointed David, was marked as a little tiny boy. It says he was a little boy in a linen ephod, running around playing priest, but he captured the heart of God. And so God will see something in someone's heart, and that's what happened with David. David captured the heart of God, and God said, I have a man after my own heart. And so Samuel anointed him when nobody else saw his potential. The second anointing that David experienced, the first anointing was an anointing to be king, but his ascending to the throne would not happen for about, if I remember my, my math right, don't hold it against me, I'm, I'm pleading uh, jet lag, but I think it was about 14 years that David would run uh, before he would ascend the throne. And so David had an anointing to be king, but no outlet to express that anointing. And everybody, there's, there's a sense in which all of our lives, we have to go through those journeys. God will put a touch on your life and you have no outlet to express it. And the fact is, if you will force that and you will prematurely find an outlet for that, you will diminish what God has on your life. It's kind of like a teapot. You need to let it boil for a while so there's going to be a whistle. But if you lift the kettle lid, you will let the steam out prematurely and you won't hear a whistle. Now, I know that's a weird illustration, but it, it's going to have to do this morning, okay? There's God's hand on your life. God will frustrate you with a call. He really will. He'll put a call on you, and it will frustrate you. It says of Joseph that the word of the Lord tested him, Psalm 105. He had a promise, but he didn't have an outlet for the promise, and it tested him. It grinded. It rubbed him raw. And there's a time in everybody's life, and, and in this day and age of social media where it's easy to promote ourselves and to create a ministry, and I'm not saying that social media is wrong. Social media has become a platform that a lot of people can use for ministry. But there's also the danger of creating a platform God didn't assign you. On social media, everybody's an expert. As long as you've got a good background and some good sound equipment, you can sound like an expert. Let's move off that. <laughs> so his second anointing, David was anointed, the first anointing, he was anointed king, but he had no outlet. The second anointing was when his tribe anointed him. The tribe of Judah said, we recognize the hand of God on your life. The people you run with will begin to recognize something on your life. In the New Testament, we see when Jesus was baptized, he went down in the water, and there's two different gospels that, that address this. One gospel says when he came up out of the water, the voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The other gospel says, you are my son. Isn't that interesting? Which one was it? Uh-huh. One was for Jesus' sake, the other was for the crowd's sake. And the call of God on your life has to have both. You better know you're called. You know, it'd be one thing. It'd be great if I, if I thought I was called to the pastor of this church, but you weren't convinced, it'd be kind of an awkward thing. I'd be preaching to an empty room. And it wouldn't do any good if you were convinced, but I wasn't. Because I wouldn't show up on Sunday. Or I'd keep sitting there when it came time to preach. There's this 
internal witness and the external witness, the growing in favor with God and with man, and where men begin to recognize the touch of God in your life. And that was David's second anointing. But then there was a third anointing, and I believe that there's, this is a pattern for everybody's life. There's a third anointing where we come into the fullness of what God has called us to. And now David was ascending the throne for all of Israel. And when that thing clicked into place, when it locked and loaded, things began to change. And that's what we're seeing here. So David was anointed by all of Israel. But what I find fascinating here is it says, all the tribes of Israel came to David and Hebron. And they said, we understand. We said, we're your own flesh and blood. In the past, Saul was king over us and you were the one who led us into military campaigns and God said to you you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler they already knew the word of the Lord yet they didn't honor the word of the Lord until the son of Saul was removed they would they still honored earthly protocol over the anointing there will always be those who will honor the systems of men more than the the anointing of God there's going to be those who recognize the anointing and they'll follow it. And then there's others. But God will use those systems of men to prepare a platform for us to express the anointing on our life. And this is not just for people called into full-time ministry. We're all called to ministry. Some vocational, some volunteer. Some are called to do it full-time. Others are called to do it within the sphere of their influence. And so all of us are called to ministry. All of us are called to carry the kingdom. And there are, there are uh, spheres of influence that when we're faithful with little, God will make us faithful with much. And so there's promotional anointing. There's promotional touches of God on our life. And so we see with David. David was, he carried an anointing and it caused him to uh, Kill Goliath right after he received that anointing. He, he faces down Goliath. We, we saw the valley where David fought Goliath. That was the one place that I thought, wow, that's a lot bigger than I thought. That was a big area. And David fought Goliath, and the anointing brought him into a conflict, gave him victory, and then attracted more conflict because it made other people, Saul, King Saul, jealous of him. And then David came, he was faithful with that anointing, so then David was made king over Judah, and then finally over the whole nation. So we, we read on here, I gotta hurry, I know it's, I'm like, you guys are the ones holding me up or something. Okay, look at verse three. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30, year old, 30 years old when he became the king, and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. Look at the very next thing it says. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here, even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. This is why it, they say, uh, the, the blind and lame will 
not enter the palace. David took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area from around it, from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty was with him. It begs the question, and I've been asking the Lord about this for many years, and I've got some answers, but I don't, I don't have, I'm not satisfied with what I know presently. But it begs the question, why Jerusalem? This little city that's had contention all through its history. The eyes of the world are on this city. Why Jerusalem? And this isn't the first time we see David show up at Jerusalem. When David conquered, it was a Jebusite stronghold. And truth be told, it was only about a 10 to 11 acre plot of ground. They, for many years, archaeologists thought that the city of David that, we, that we're talking about here is in the old, the, what's called Old Jerusalem. And there's the walled city you see where the, uh, the Wailing Wall is. And those of you that have been to Jerusalem, you, you know what I'm talking about. There's these beautiful uh, these beautiful stone walls. Matter of fact, the British mandated that all building in Jerusalem had to be done with that, that, those, those same type of sandstones. And it's, so it's gorgeous. You come and you crest over the hill and you see Israel laid out before you and it's all this sand-colored building. It's gorgeous. And for many years, they thought it was what's called the Old City. You can tour the old city to this day. There's many excavations going on there. If you're on Facebook, you can get on my Facebook and see a bunch of them that we went through. And I need to post some more. Uh, but it wasn't until, I want to say it was in the 20s, there was a uh, British archaeologist who was sent by the queen. They said, go and dig and, uh, in the old city of David and find more of David's history. He went there and they said, you can't dig here. And he thought, well, I'll, you know what? They're, the queen's not going to know where I dug. She just said, go dig. So he went outside the city wall and started digging in a potato patch just south of the city wall. And lo and behold, he discovered the city of David. The city of David was buried under an old potato patch. And again, it was only about 10 or 11 acres wide. That's, that's a third, less, almost a fourth of the size of the property that we own today. I always thought it was this huge city, you know, this, this huge walled city, but it wasn't. It was a very small patch of ground. But there was something in David that discerned the importance of this city. Why? I think we need to understand why. Now listen, listen to what it says in verse 11. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David along with cedar logs and carpenters, stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Uh, one of the things that we toured was the palace of David. They have discovered it. Just It's in part of that, that potato patch. And the reason, one of the reasons they knew it was David's palace was this very verse right here. Then David knew that the Lord had established, well, wait, let me back up. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. So now, uh, the Hiram was a, the king of Tyre, a Phoenician kingdom, and there was a certain type of uh, pillar that was carved by Phoenician king, for Phoenician kings. It was a royal signia that was, 
on the top of these pillars, and it's, it's well known in archaeological history. Well, they found one of those in the ruins of what they thought just maybe David's palace. And the, but they said, well, why would that be David's palace? Because that's a Phoenician insignia for royalty. And then they found this verse. Hiram sent carpenters and stonemasons to build a palace for David. And because they were building a royal palace, they used that type of structure. And there's a picture. You can go on my Facebook. It's right there. Get on Google it. You can find this, the top of this, this pillar. So they found David's palace. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. That is a very interesting verse. The King James Version says it this way. David perceived that the Lord had made him king over Israel. You think, well, don't you think he should have known that earlier? He's wearing the crown, sitting on the throne. What's the deal? He suddenly perceived there's several meanings that that verse can have. One, that all of a sudden David, there was a, a more of an awareness in his life that, hey, this is God's doing. God set me in this place. Some people translate it that way and, and interpret it that way. I believe the real thing the Lord is trying to communicate to us is this. Then David perceived that God had made him king for the sake of the people of Israel. David, David suddenly had an awareness of the purpose of his anointing. David understood why God's hand was on his life. It's not good enough to realize that God's hand's on your life. You need to realize the purpose for God's hand on your life. God has a specific purpose and a specific calling on each one of our lives. And when we understand the purpose of our calling, we can begin to leverage that thing. You see, when you have an anointing on your life, you can enjoy it, but you can't leverage it unless you know the purpose for it. And there's a place where we need to come into an awareness of why God has called us. I saw something on... on uh, I don't know, it was some social media, or I dreamt it, I don't know, uh, some this last week. And this guy was talking about, he said three things about the church. And I thought, man, he just put into words something so significant. He said this, the church is a hospital, a family, and an army. And there's a progression to that that's very important for us to understand. There are some who only look at the church as a hospital. And therefore they become dependent upon the church to do things for them because they, their identity is that they're broken, they're wounded, and I'm coming to the church simply to be healed. And that is the first phase of your interaction often with the church. Hey, when I got saved, I came into the kingdom and the kingdom was a hospital. I was broken and they needed to nurse me back to health. But if you, you remain there, there's something missing and you'll never move into maturity. The church always has to have that hospital component. Terry and Liz, wave at everybody. Terry and Liz head up Freedom Ministries. They are doctors in the hospital. And that is the entry point. And if you try to become part of the family without going through the hospital, pity the family. Because you will, you will begin to relate with others based on your own brokenness and your own woundedness. 
Matter of fact, you may even try to multiply your brokenness and your woundedness. I was just talking to uh, Travis and Sarah. Wave at everybody. These friends of mine from Ottumwa, they were, they were at a deliverance weekend with Terry and Liz. And uh, they were just sharing with me that uh, they were... Part of, they went to a, a conference some time back and someone, they were talking about mental health and this person got up and talked about how they, their testimony was that they struggle with mental health. And they're saying nothing was said about God, nothing was talked about his delivering power and their testimony was how they struggle with mental health. Do you know that there's a whole stream of Christianity right now that they think the ultimate expression of the kingdom is us being authentic and transparent about our struggles with no promise of deliverance from it? That the high watermark of Christianity is not pressing in for deliverance, it's being transparent that we struggle. And that's the best way we can show up, just being honest. Now that's good, be honest, but don't settle for that as being the high watermark because your transparency should lead you into deliverance where then you can now take your place as a healthy member of the family of God. But if you're just, if this is the high watermark, then all we are is a bunch of dysfunctional people hanging out with each other, swapping stories about who's, hey, let me beat your story. I'm more dysfunctional than you are. Oh yeah, you want to top that? You know what I just did? That is not a good representation of the body of Christ. So we come in as into a hospital, but then we move into a family. We have healing ministry. We have inner healing. We have deliverance. These are the components of the hospital. This is the on-ramp. And I'm telling you, if you have just started to attend Heartland, avail yourself of those ministries. You say, well, I've been through that. It doesn't hurt to go get some more. You know how many times I went through Christ's life? I'm still using that stuff on myself. Christian, you know, you've heard the old saying, living for Jesus is like an onion, one layer at a time and a lot of tears. We're all growing. But maturity means we, we, we embrace this reality, but we also move into this place where we become a, a part of a healthy family. You get part of a life group. You begin to build relationships. It's not just that you know the back of someone's head from Sunday, but you sit face to face sometime between Monday and Saturday, and you begin to build some relationships. And I'm telling you, there are certain things in your life you will never overcome outside of relationship. Now, I know we've talked about this before, but while I'm meddling, let me just get my, poke my finger in here. First John says it very clearly. First John chapter 1, walk in the light as he is in the light. That's that transparency thing, right? Walk in the light as he is in the light. Not, nothing hidden in my life. And then he says, and you will have fellowship one with another. When you're transparent, you can begin to have real relationships. And when you have real relationships, transparency will lead to intimacy. And intimacy will result in purity. He says this, and then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What he's insinuating is there are certain besetting sins, certain habits, certain things that will trip you up in your walk that you will never overcome on your own. Getting with Jesus 
Fasting and praying, rocking yourself away in a monastery for a month isn't going to break that thing because the only way you're going to know what it is is when it shows up in a relationship. You know, I'm a very unselfish person when I'm alone. I don't get irritated with other people when I'm alone. There are things that God needs to bring me into relationship with to reveal to me. Try driving around for 10 days with 27 pastors who are used to being leaders. Man, I want to tell you. God bless the guy that led us. He was shepherding shepherds. He made a comment at one point, it's like herding cats. I think, yeah, angry ones. We kept wandering off on our own because we're used to being in charge and he's having to kind of, you know, herd us back. We need relationships because we don't even know what we're struggling with until we come into relationship. So we go from a hospital to a family, but that's not the end. This would be an, a, an evangelistic expression. Bring them in. Even a pastoral expression, get them healed. Have a family, another pastoral expression. Teaching, let's grow them up. But it doesn't stop there. We've got to understand the purpose of our anointing. And God created you to be a soldier in the army of God. We are a people on a mission. And if we never move from family to army, then all we're doing is we're just, it's, it's kind of a, a cuddle club. Oh, doesn't Jesus love us? Oh, we're just loved by Jesus. And what about the people who don't know that yet? So we've got to be a people on a mission, and that's where we move into the purpose of our anointing. And the way that happens is the way it happened with David. At the beginning, only a prophet sees what's on our life. We don't recognize it. No one else does. I mean, it takes divine revelation to see any potential in us. But a prophet can call that out like Samuel did in David. But then you start to hang out with family He's hung out with the tribe of Judah and they recognized the hand of the Lord is on David to lead us. And your gift begins to rise to the surface. But it wasn't until David moved into his third anointing that he began to take ground and advance the kingdom like never before. He began to set up a new headquarters in Jerusalem. We're not even gonna get to that part this morning, to Jerusalem. It's a fascinating study. Hopefully someday we can get into it. We've talked about it a little bit. But we need, to, we need to move through those stages and like David, understand the purpose of the anointing on our life. Your purpose is greater than being part of a family. That's a wonderful thing. That's the base. That's the thing we come back to. That's our personal support. But we never really move into the fullness of what God intends for us. We never un uh, unleash the potential, all that God put within us and so desires to call out of us until we begin to find the purpose of our anointing like David did. David perceived that he had been made king for Israel. It wasn't just so he could live in a nice house. It wasn't just so he could tell people what to do. David realized God is leveraging me for the sake of others. And that's where we begin to move into maturity. It's like the stages of a, of a human life. We come into the world, we are absolutely dependent. Somebody needs to take care of us. That's the hospital. 
But over time, we become independent. We begin to come care for ourselves, and we can have healthy relationships. But the real thing that God wants to move us to is to become dependable. We're others that are totally dependent and broken. Others that don't know yet. We can begin to bear the weight of the family. We can bear the weight of the cause. And God is calling us higher. Okay, let me shift gears. This is going to be a, a next snap because I'm, I got off onto something that I want to get back into this. Okay, so here's, here's what I, I was contemplating this in Israel. I, just, I, was, I was just having talks with the Lord about, Lord, this is, I mean, it was amazing. I, I, this, this almost sounds like I was not impressed. I was deeply impressed on so many levels to what I saw, saw but what I wasn't impressed was, with was the magnitude of Jerusalem, the city of David. Matter of fact, I was like, wow, this is it? And it begs the question, because you read in Scripture where the Bible talks about Zion, Mount Zion, when the Bible talks about Jerusalem, it talks in these grandiose terms, like, oh, the, the mountain of God, the, the, the envy of all the other mountains. And you look, that's kind of a generous term, calling that a mountain. It's more like a hill, you know? Okay? It really? Now, there are some mountains off in the distance. I got pictures of Mount Hermon. You know what that means to me. That was awesome. But this is a little more than a hill. And I'm thinking, Lord, no offense, but I mean, the Sea of Galilee was more like a lake. Beautiful, a decent-sized lake, but I came from Lake Superior, okay? That looks like an ocean. Galilee, I could get across that. Remember when Jesus was going to cross the sea and they ran around the other side and met him? That's why they could do that. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, these are kind of grandiose terms, seas and mountains, and it's hills and lakes. So I can come to two conclusions. Number one, they're being disingenuous, and that undermines the entire book, which is not an option for me. The other is this. Now, the reason they called it a sea is they didn't have the word lake, so everything, a body of water was a sea, but it's a small sea. Okay, But when it comes to mountains, God's measuring stick is different than ours. God doesn't measure, God's measurement is not in size, but in impact. We see Zion was first, the first time that word shows up is when David conquers Jerusalem here. And the way he conquered is a whole other story. Amazing. And I, by the way, the spring where, where David, the, you know, the, this, that they used to, it's now a little house, backyard of a house they just purchased. It's in a neighborhood. Where Jesus, resu- where Jesus was crucified, it's now a bus station. Parking lot. And somehow that seemed fitting. People coming and going. You see, we think of these grandiose terms and God comes into the ordinary and transforms the world. Not in something big. He didn't send them to Rome. Didn't send them to New York. Sent them to Jerusalem. These small places which wasn't even on most people's maps and God's going to turn history around. Originally, 
Zion was this little 10, 11 acre plot of ground. Then over time it encompassed Mount Zion uh, and Mount Moriah where Abraham sacri- you know, was going to sacrifice Isaac and that's where Jesus was crucified and, and uh, several other little, mo- and again, mountains is a pretty generous term for these hills. And then Zion began to be known as the whole nation of Israel. And by the time we get to the New Testament, Hebrews 11 says, you have not come to Mount Sinai, but you have come to Mount Zion, comma, the spiritual Jerusalem. Which, by the way, we entered into this morning in worship. We entered into Mount Zion, the government of God, the, 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 the hill of the Lord, where God rules and reigns from that place. And in worship, we touch those things. And so God is, God is not looking at the geographic size, but the impact. And so I was, just, I was just so intrigued by that, and I just kept turning it over, and, and, and there was something else going on in my head. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 47, going to be 48 next month. I mean, 58, sorry. I, that's why you laughed, okay? Maybe 58 next month. And uh, it, that, it's, you know, I mean, hey, I'm still, I still got a lot left in me, but it's sobering. I got less in front of me than I have behind me. And I want my life to matter. I want to I make sure that my, I'm not talking about for some personal namesake. I don't care if I'm known among men, but I want to be known in heaven. I want to be known in hell. I want, I want to be, I want when the enemy comes, he says, Jesus we know and Paul we've heard of. I want to at least, I want to make a dent at least that they, uh oh, it's that guy. I want my life to matter. And so I was also processing this thing of saying, God, Lord, there's got to be more. Lord, what do you have for Heartland? What are you wanting from us? What do, you, what do we need to do? What, I'm just, I'm searching through my heart saying, God, we want to make an impact. And the Lord began to speak to me about Jerusalem. How God's measuring stick is not the geographic size but the spiritual impact. And what looks like a small hill is a mighty mountain from a spiritual perspective. And I thought, yeah, you know, I'm a preacher. I can, I can look at things and, oh, that'll preach, and I can do that to myself, okay? So I'm like, Lord, you know, does that really apply to us? Is that just me? And then I got a phone call. This person, I told you, they reached out to me while I was still in Israel, and I texted them. I said, hey, I'll, I'll be back. I'll give you a call. And so I called them, and they said, I, I just want to share something with you. I was, I was at, they're, they're at their brother's house and caring for their brother, and they said, I was spending some time with the Lord, and they said, all of a sudden, the Spirit of God fell on me and spoke to me about Heartland. So, man, it, it came out of nowhere. I, I, I didn't expect it. I mean, just the Lord spoke to me. And he's trying to explain, he said, the Lord was telling me that 
the grandeur, and that was the very word that I was thinking about, the grandeur of Jerusalem is much less in the physical than the, term, you know, the, the way that heaven assesses it. And I thought, Lord, you know, you don't measure by our measuring stick what happened on that ground. Jesus still reigns from the throne of David, Scripture says. Mount Zion that started as a little patch of geographic ground has now become synonymous with the kingdom. And God is, keeps expanding what he's doing. And it all started because he found a man after his own heart. And so they, they said, I don't know how to say this, but it was like the Lord was telling me that the grandeur of Heartland is more than you realize. You can't measure it. And when he said it, I started crying. Now why am I telling you this? Because if we don't understand the purpose of what God is doing, we can't leverage it. We can enjoy it. We can't replicate it. We can't leverage it. And I'm telling you that God has dropped an authority in this house that is beyond what we look around the room and see. And we need to be very, very intentional about using that for his kingdom. Now, at one level, that's going to mean a different thing for each one of us. For Terry and Liz, right now, their assignment, one of their primary assignments, they're elders in this house, but one of their primary assignments is getting people in the triage, getting them through the door, and getting, you know, sending them on their way. And we have a regional mandate on this church. We don't just, a lot of the people they meet with aren't in Heartland. They're people in the region, and they come to us. We do that with pastors. We're sowing money into to pastors that are hurting and need counseling, and we'll, we'll foot the bill for that. We're helping out people around the region. You need to find out what is the purpose of your anointing. You need to get healed, okay? Get, if you need treatment in the hospital of the kingdom, get it. We have it available to you. And you need to plug in and find your place in the family. You've got to have relationships within the local church. You have to be living, doing life with others, life on life. That is crucial. But it's got to go beyond there, and you've got to realize what is the purpose of your anointing? What has God called you to do? He's given you a patch of ground in which you can express the kingdom. You may be in college. You may be a doctor. You may be a UPS worker. That patch of ground, God expects you, desires you, longs to manifest through you. And only when you discover that will you finally step in like David and begin to give expression to all he's put within you. That's the only way you're going to really Feel locked and loaded. This is what I was created for. Amen? I hope some of that made sense. Let's go ahead and stand. Father, we thank you this morning. God, you are good. Lord, we thank you that 
your measuring stick is different than ours. And Lord, we ask that you would do a work in us, Lord. Just put your hand on your heart. Lord, that you'd do a work in us. Like the Apostle Paul said, that we would know no man after the flesh, that we would be the Samuels. Lord, that would recognize the hand of God on the Davids. Lord, that we could call it out of others. But Lord, we ask for, for more than just individuals. Lord, we ask that you would enable us, like David, to assess the state of a city and recognize the gem that it would be in your hand, Lord. Father, I ask that there would be an awareness, God, like David, that David perceived the purpose of your hand on him. And Lord, that you would help us, Lord, that there would be a perception, a revelation that we would understand why your hand is upon us, Lord. Lord, I ask God as we go that we would be aware of your presence, Lord, that we would understand that we are a people of your presence. And Lord, that we would emanate, God, that we would, we would uh, leak everywhere we go. We would not only be spirit-filled, but we would be spirit-spilled. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Hey, we'll be back here Tuesday morning for prayer. God bless you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.